0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. I'm your host, Austin Miller. I'll be joined in a bit by Adam Brandon and Simon Edwards to break down the second phase of the 2020 Commonwealth Libertadores. We are inching ever closer to the group stage. Just eight teams remain in the quest for four spots. And on today's show, we will also recap the end of the pre-Olympico tournament that saw Argentina and Brazil qualify for Tokyo 2020. Well, let me introduce our panel for this week's show. World Football Index's own Humpty Dumpty, Adam Brandon. Are you do- doing any better?
1: Um, oh, I was in agony trying to get to sleep last night. So if, if, I, if I sound a bit groggy on this pod, you will know why. Um, it seemed fine for a few days, but yeah, the back pain has returned in the last couple of days worse than ever so um, yeah I think uh, I think I may have broken something but <laughs> I'm not sure how you fix it really it's not like a leg or an arm you can put in a club, in a in a cast
0: did that make going to the palestino match quite fun I can imagine
1: <laughs> um yeah well me we and my mate we actually uh, stood at the back for, for sort of the last 15-20 minutes as yeah, sitting in a seat was too was too painful.
0: On this week's show, we're also joined by Simon Edwards from Medellin, Colombia. Simon, were it not for Deportivo Pasto, what a start to continental competition for Colombian sides this year. You have to be over the moon.
2: Yeah, you know, the long-awaited Colombian dominance has finally arrived. Uh, you know, I feel sorry for the rest of the continent. We're unstoppable. Uh, although... This week, maybe dampen some of those uh, excitement, but we'll, we'll talk about that.
0: Well, let's get into the Libertadores action. As you know, we did not do a podcast after the first leg of these matches, uh, these ties, I should say. So we'll run through some of the first leg as we're talking about the tie in general. But guys, let's start with the tie that probably captured the most headlines, uh, both in South America and internationally. For the second time in five years, tiny club Guarani of Paraguay go into Sao Paulo to face big, mighty Corinthians, and they come out winners. They advance uh, five years ago. They advanced 3-0 on aggregate. This time, it was a little more tight, uh, a 1-0 win in Asuncion for Guarani with an early goal, and then they kind of held on to hang on for an impressive first leg result and what proved to be a, a crucial home clean sheet. In the second leg they quickly fell behind 2-0 within a half an hour, a half hour that also saw Corinthians reduced to 10 men. But then Fernando Fernandez, who also scored the winner 5 years ago for Guarani at the Adana Corinthians with an impressive free kick that went off the hands of Corinthians goalkeeper Cassio and in, and then some timely defending from Guarani saw them go through 2-2 on aggregate on away goals. Simon, this was everything we love about a two-legged Libertadores tie—a big giant taking on a smaller team, punching above their weight. And as is so often the case in the Libertadores, the small team got it done.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was a, a big result for Guarani and a, and a really enjoyable night uh, this week. Obviously, first leg at home, they they snuck the lead, but it was always going to be tough uh, to take that away to to Brazil, to Sao Paulo, to Corinthians, big club, big stadium. Uh, on a big night the the little club little club uh, did an amazing job um they hung in there at the end obviously the red card to pedrinho in the first half um was was a factor but you know this is this is a big giant brazilian side full of talent full of uh quality and uh yeah it was a really really impressive uh impressive performance on guarani um they even towards the end of the game they they continued to pose a threat and attack. They, they could have snuck another one, obviously. Corinthians dominated for, for large spells. Um, again, it was one of those, once a, a club is defending a lead and you see them all sitting in, uh, it's interesting to see how the the home side responds. And uh, Corinthians, again, floated a few too many crosses in for my liking. Obviously, it's difficult when the box is packed. Um, but uh, yeah, it was very uh, a very impressive um, performance from Guarani. Goalkeeper as well. You love to see it. Uh, a set of yours doing some great time wasting towards the end. And it's interesting how when you're watching one of these games, if you're supporting a, a minnow, you can completely excuse, you know, the hours of time wasting, the the feigned injury, all sorts. Um, but when you see a, a, a big giant uh, taking a few dives, you kind of feel appalled and, dis- you know, it's disgraceful. Um, but it was, a, it was a really fun game. Go on, Adam.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Apart from the... the the world-class time-wasting from Servio, over Guarani goalkeeper. Um, he did also pull off a absolutely magnificent um, save at point-blank range in, in, in the last few minutes. And just overall in this game, I actually only caught the last 20 minutes of it as I was coming back from Palestino's game, which, which we'll touch on in a couple of minutes. But... Um, yeah, when I watched the highlights back and just look, looking at the the stats, the, you know, Guarani had fourteen shots in this game. You know, Corinthians had twenty-three, so it wasn't like for the whole ninety minutes Guarani were backs against the wall. You know, they they did they did make a they did make a real game of it over the two legs, and um, and probably, uh, uh, you know, over the two legs, given the the difference in size between the two clubs, you could argue that the Paraguayans really deserve to go through, no, Austin.
0: I think what was evident to me with this Guarani performance was they knew how valuable a second goal would have been. Uh, as that game wound down, you know, the final twenty minutes, final fifteen, final ten, as Simon said, they continued to push numbers forward because a second goal would have would have killed the tie off. Um, and I think they knew, that holding out to try and keep Corinthians off the scoreboard for the final half an hour would, would, would prove difficult. And it did. They were able to do it. But I think you could see how important they viewed that second goal. Um, and this, I think the thing, another thing that impressed me about this Guarani performance is, as you said, Adam, they didn't have the luxury of being able to play 90 minutes of back-to-the-wall football because Corinthians turned the tie around. Uh, they scored within the first 10 minutes. Luan, another impressive Libertadores performance from him. We saw him for so many years at Gremio play at a high level in this competition. He did it again for Corinthians here, scored early on. And then even after the red card, uh, Boselli, who's had a, a great start to the year for Corinthians, found himself in a ton of space to finish. So Corinthians were in position to go through at 2-0 up. Uh, at 1-0, it would have been penalties, obviously, Um And so because of that, Guarani then kind of were forced out of their shell and they couldn't play that kind of defend forever uh, type of football and a well-taken free kick. uh, They wanted in a dangerous position and, and Fernandez, to his credit, put it away. And those are the type of opportunities that when you're looking to pull off an upset like this, you have to take advantage of. And to their credit, they did. So the second time in five years that Guarani eliminate Corinthians from the Libertadores. Um, the last time, obviously, was it was in the knockout round, this time before the group stage. But for the second year, a big Brazilian side falls in, in these opening stages. Last year, it was Sao Paulo who fell to Tajeras of Argentina. This year, Corinthians fall to Guarani. And Adam, for the second time in two years, it's Chilean side Palestino who wait in the third phase to take advantage of uh, the situation last year, they, of course, got by Tigres and into the group stage this year, Adam, an impressive second leg victory for Palestino 5-1 at home for a 6-2 aggregate win over Uruguayan debutante Cerro Largo, 1-1 in the first leg. I'll let you touch on that a bit in a second. But this was a very impressive showing from Palestino, the rare time when we see a Chilean side kind of have to take the initiative and they did, and now Adam, they're two legs away from going into a group that you can pretty easily see them potentially getting out of.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's a more promising situation looking ahead compared to last year, where yeah, you know, I, th- I think very few people expected them to beat Tuyeres, and then in the group stage they had River and Internacional uh, to get by. Um, yeah, well, this time, you know, on paper. This Guarani side looks weaker than than the, than the sides they um, beat last year to make it to the group stage. Um, but having said that, you know this uh, this Guarani side have proved already that they're that they're made of, of of tough stuff, and I don't think that Palestino are quite as good as last year. This this thrashing of Cerro Lago, which is actually the best result in uh, by a Chilean club against a Uruguayan club in, in Commonwealth history Palacino certainly deserved to win and you know the, all, the goals were all excellent but the general play compared to this time last year in the qualifying stages isn't as good in in my opinion and um, and yeah i think i am slightly worried about about um, them facing Guarani next week. Um, but yeah, just to quickly round this game up, uh, the first leg, um, Benitez, Jonathan Benitez, who was man of the match, um, he scored a crucial equaliser with about 20 minutes to go. Um, and and that came after basically both keepers had made blunders in the first half. The, the, the Cerro Largo keeper got sent off for his um, when Benitez had beaten him
0: to the ball and the keeper just wiped him out nowhere near before. what a play that was yeah. <laughs> go look it up if you haven't seen it yet just everything just a great play all around
1: and uh yeah and palestina probably should have should have won that first leg away from home with the amount of possession they had after that point really um but yeah in, in the second leg uh the uruguayans started off um fairly decent yeah they they got quite a few set pieces around the box and i was, I was slightly worried but yeah, Palestino weathered it and and went on to dominate really. Carrasco, um, heading home, uh, a Benegas cross. That was a that was a lovely work goal. Um and then uh Augustine Augustin Farias, he hit a superb, brilliant long range strike into the into the top corner, it was from about thirty yards, I was right behind it. It was um yeah, it was a real beauty to watch. Um, Benegast, um in the second half broke Beyond the Cyril back line, turning back inside and shooting inside the near post, that was a really well-deserved goal. Benegas, who was at Universidad de Chile last couple of years, and, and kind of one of those strikers where the fans at, at Liverpool kind of took the took the piss a little bit out of him because... Yeah, he missed so many chances, but they couldn't be too harsh on him because he's so hard working. And yeah, and for and for Palestino on this night, he was popping up everywhere, um, winning the ball back and um and yeah, like I say, he really got a well deserved goal. Um, on his return to Palestino as well, because he, he did used to play for, for Palestina as well. So, um, after that, Sarah got one back. Actually, I, I missed that as I was, uh, updating <laughs> on my phone about the, about the Benegas goal. Um, I looked up and, and suddenly the Uruguayans had the, had the ball in the net. And, um, yeah, looking back on the highlights, it, it was kind of sort of bundled home from, from close range, um, and, yeah, then Palestino restored their three-goal lead um, immediately after that. Really good work from Magui Jimenez, um, who is nowhere near the level he was this time last year in the competition. I think this time last year he was a player that we were really praising um, as, uh, as as possibly the best at, at this stage of, of the competition. Um but yeah, he he hasn't really got going. He but he basically didn't play football for the last six months of the last year and and at the moment in the league and in the Libert stories, it just seems he hasn't really got going. Um, and then for the fifth goal um, to seal a six-two aggregate victory, Darafeño, the the Palestinian substitute, he started a move with a lovely pirouette on on the halfway line, and after after a few passes. And um, a couple of ricochets, it ended back at him, and he curled a beautiful shot into the corner for a very convincing Palestino win. And um, and yeah, that that should give them the confidence anyway to to take the game to Guarani next Thursday, um, when when they have the first leg at home, which I expect to be played at the same stadium as as this game, which which is Universal. Universidad Catolica Stadium where they produced their best performances last year as well in the competition.
2: Simon, any words on Guarani Palestino in the third phase? It's gonna be an interesting one. Um I, I was quite impressed with Palestino. I didn't watch all of the game, but when I when I turned on, they were one of the teams that was you know most energetic, most proactive. Um, not a huge support, but there seems to be a lot of enthusiasm and, and positive feeling and, and I think that kind of was reflected in the pitch. So Palestina was a side I enjoyed watching um, this week. Uh, Guarani, obviously, uh, it's a very different different game um, going up against the uh, Corinthians and responding in a very organized and a very efficient uh, way. But they also showed they can attack. So it's going to be an interesting one. I-, I think it'll be quite even. And I do expect both teams to, to kind of catch the eye a little bit on the attack. Uh, so look- one I'm looking forward to. And one final word on that matchup.
0: As I said earlier, whoever goes through in that tie will, will feed into Group B, which is headed up by Palmeiras, but features also Tigre, a side who are in the Argentine 2nd division, and Bolivar, who are obviously a Bolivian side, and all that comes with that. So a big opportunity uh, for either Palestino or Guarani to go into Group B and, and feel that they can make some noise and, and perhaps get out in another round of 16. So big opportunity for both of those clubs coming up. Well, let's move on to our next tie to break down. And this also provided us with some drama on Wednesday night. A fantastic kind of 15 minutes of Libertadores football with the Guarani Corinthians match wrapping up and then Atletico Tucuman and the strongest of Bolivia going to penalties. A 2 0 win for the Bolivians at altitude in the first leg. You felt it might just be enough for them to take back down to sea level and see it out. They were able to see it into penalties after a 2-0 win for Atletico Tucumán. But it was Tucumán who went through on penalties 6-5. A key miss for the strongest that we'll get onto in a second. And it's Tucumán who go through in this tie. Simon, this was Libertadores drama, was it not?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. It was uh, it was uh, definitely a fun night uh, with with everything going on. We had... Guaraní, uh, Corinthians, and, and the big giant killing over there, and then at the same time we had two of our favourites going head to head and battling out to the end to penalties and all the drama that came with that. Yeah, it was a it was a it was a fun game. Tucuman is is a stadium that's always jumping, is always a great backdrop to any Libertadores game as the strongest uh, away there in, Bo- uh, in Bolivia. So it was, yeah. It was always going to be. It was always going to be interesting. With the strongest going two 0 ahead uh, in the first leg, the first half an hour was always going to be key in this one for Tucumán. Can they get that crowd behind them? And uh, Marcelo Diaz with a with a header at the near post um, to to give them give them a lead on the night. Bring them back with one within one goal. Um, the Bolivians obviously away from home are never quite as strong. And then Tucumán kept pushing. Got the second uh, goal on the night. Uh, Leonardo heredia um, to to pull it level in the tie and at that point you thought maybe the Argentines could keep the momentum going and and see out the the, the tie on the night uh, they couldn't get the ball in the net um, to to win the tie uh, and it went to penalties and and the penalty shootout was was interesting um, sometimes teams uh, kind of win a penalty shootout and sometimes they kind of feel like they lose one and, and uh, definitely felt that. There was the chance there to win the win the shootout, but uh, some some silly misses and some interesting goalkeeping as well. Uh, that was impressive. The strongest goalkeeper, um, rather than waiting and, and trying to read the taker or, or or guess, he was running up and down along his line, trying to put the put the taker off uh, backer in goal for for the strongest, and and it definitely worked. The first penalty, he ran over to touch his his goalpost, and the penalty taker took it that side, and he was already there. And he saved it. Um, But uh, yeah, it was an interesting shootout. What did you think of that one, Austin?
0: I think the strongest, as you said, will be regretting their missed opportunities. Rolando Blackburn, the Panamanian international, with the tie on his foot. And Adam, he maybe tried something he shouldn't have tried.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was was just one of the most ridiculous penalties I think I've seen in that situation. So much so that he's managed to go viral. Like all the... Lad banter accounts were uh, were retweeting it the next day, so yeah, he's he's really taken kind of a a walk of Libertadores shame there when when the Libertadores goes viral with those kind of accounts, you know you've done something really bad. Um, yeah, uh, Blackburn. Um, yeah, he 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 played pretty well in the first leg and um, you yeah, know, worked hard in, in in the second leg, but yeah, that penalty was yeah. Just ridiculous, and he, and even the even the other penalty that uh, the strongest missed. I forget the the name of the of of the taker of the of the other penalty that they missed. But it, even that contained kind of a a slightly um, strange run up. No, Torres. His name was yeah. Sal, Sal, Torres. Sal Torres. Yeah, and yeah, and so the two penalties that the strongest uh, missed were were basically because of poor run-ups, which was a shame, because I think overall their penalties were probably more convincing than two-commands were. <laughs> and it, and I think if if the penalties had just been taken properly and normally, I'm not sure the two-command goalkeeper would have got near them.
0: But that is what a penalty shootout is, is that the penalties were not taken properly and normally. Yeah, I, I know, uh, but
1: it it, it was sure. almost like they were,
2: they were trying to miss. <laughs> like trying to be... <laughs> Yeah, they done everything right in that shootout they scored every penalty they saved the first one and it all came down to the last one to win the tie everyone was kind of the fans you could see were going kind of re- resigned to losing and then some silly nonsense and <laughs> he messes it up uh, over complicating things um yeah. but yeah you know definitely plenty of drama there was also there was also
1: some really interesting uh scenes from the crowd um in this game um the the Libertadores camera focused on 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 one lad um, on the last two command penalty I think it was where he seemed to be doing some kind of uh, kind of northern Argentine voodoo I described <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> uh, no, he he could have just been getting uh, the insects away from from his body. It, I don't know. But there were so many insects there. <laughs> the
2: camera was full of insects. You know, we talk about Bolivian altitude, but we should talk about. Tucumán's plague of mosquitoes or whatever it was. It was uh, interesting to see on the camera. It was just filled. The camera was filled with bugs flying around uh, around the stadium. Those look bigger than mosquitoes. I don't know what they were,
0: but they looked big boys. Uh, on that note, Simon Tucumán now get a date with Independiente Medellin of Colombia who looked like they might win the Libertadores after a 4-0 first leg win against Deportivo Tachira. <laughs> The second leg maybe brought them a bit more back down to earth. A 2-0 win for Tatara. They were pressuring late, but never really got close enough to, to put the tie in question. So Dim go through 4-2 on aggregate. And Simon, they'll need to be the first leg side more than the second leg side if they want to spot the group stage.
2: Yeah, so some of my pessimism. Was finally uh, finally reflected in the performance because the first leg was amazing um, and the second leg was really really bad. So who knows what we're going to get with them moving forward? Uh, in the first leg, uh, Javier Reyna was was incredible. Um, got a couple of assists, scored a spectacular uh, bended shot into the top corner. Was pulling on the strings. Ricarte was there as well. The, the combination of those two was. Was very impressive. Larry Angulo overlapping and flying forward. Um, Michael Balanta looking competent. Caicedo holding everything up in attack. An incredible first leg performance. It was easy. One of the easiest Libertadores games I've ever seen. Uh, and in the second half, they made the second leg. They made things look very very difficult um, against the Tachira side, who I think had some players coming back as well. I think that was a, was a factor in the tie. They did look a lot better. Uh, in the second leg, um, but Medellin were were terrible. Um, Balanto in particular was really really poor. Um, so concerns there. Medellin resorted to a lot of long range efforts um, in a game where you know they're in control. They're four 0 up. They really should just keep the ball and and suck the life out of Chieza and try and uh, you know use their possession sensibly to to get the final goal and, and finish them off and you know not give them anything to build off and. Tachira's opening goal. I mean, it was kind of coming. You know, they didn't look amazing. Uh, th- there were individuals who kind of shone in the Tachira side. Uh, Camargo Camargo, in particular, yeah, yeah, for me, absolutely. Was... Interesting to hear of his story as well. How he was a you know a big prospect, a Panamanian player, went to NYFC and and had an injury, which meant that they didn't renew his loan, and then he's knocked about and, you know, now 26. I think definitely a player who could do a job at a, a bigger club, a club that's going to go further than Libertadores. Um, just signed for Tachira, so no one's going to pick him up for this year, but um, definitely a name to keep an eye on for the future. Um, But yeah, overall, Medellin, what Caicedo, everything stuck to him in the first leg, and everything bounced off him in the second leg. Uh, Malanta, again, I described as a flying winger, and he kind of was in the first leg, and in the second leg, he looked about 50 years old, so (laughs) I don't know what to say about Medellin. They're through, that's the best I can say. Um, I was very excited about how balanced the team looked. Obviously, they lost Kano as the main striker, brought in a target man who's very effective as, as a pivot, bringing players in, then wasn't. So, I don't know. If you asked me a week and a half ago, I'd say this is a, a Medellin that's more collective, it's more effective, that has you know a good balance. And if you ask me today, I'll say this is a Medellin that <laughs> looks immature and, and, and wasteful. So, let's see. <laughs> Adam, how much? I don't know if you saw
0: much of of Tucuman or or Medellin in in this phase, but what do you kind of make of this tie going forward? The winner of this tie will go into Group H with Boca Juniors, Caracas, and Libertad.
1: Yeah, I was, I was looking at the fixtures last night. A bit like Palestina Guaraní, really. I th- I find it, this one really difficult to to call as well. Yeah, I, I don't think there's probably a great deal of quality, um, a difference in quality between the two sides. Um, I think maybe if pushed, I'll go for Tucumán. They've got a little bit more experience of winning um, games at at this kind of level in in recent years. Um, Yeah, I remember Dim being very disappointing against uh, Palestino last year um, in in the second round of the Libertadores qualifying stage. Um, And I think that Tucumán have also had a tougher task in 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 the, in the second round already, so I think they they might ju- they might just be a little bit more well prepared for this third round tie. So yeah, if forced, then yeah, I'll say through command. But yeah, I, it, it it could go either way for sure.
0: Our next tie: Sarah Porteño two one on aggregate over Universitario. Adam, this tie just kind of happened. I think not a terribly impressive performance from Sarah Porteño. But it also kind of always felt like they were going to go through, particularly after their away goal in the first leg left things one-one. A one 0 win behind closed doors at home. Uh, anything else to add on this Cerro Patino performance, Adam Simon? Um, anybody?
1: Uh, basically, this tie went fairly sort of how I expected it to really. Universitario getting something at home, um, but it not. Quite being enough, so that was a one-one draw. Um, but you know, the second leg, you know, I expected sort of Sarah Bordeno to 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 win that second leg. You know, they're one of the, I think they've got one of the strongest home records in, in South America in, in in domestic competition, and um, and also they since opening that new stadium. I think they've barely lost uh, at home. So yeah, I I just feel, that yeah this tie went pretty much as I expected it to. I, I didn't actually see too much of it, um, just, just the highlights as I was out another game. But um, Simon, did, did you see any of it?
2: Yeah, you know, I think, uh, as you say, it's kind of as predicted. Um, the really nice finish from uh, Carrizo uh, to give Cerro Poteño the lead and, and see them through. Uh, obviously, as, as you'd expect later on, Universitario pushing for the... Pushing for the for the equaliser, you know they had more shots on goal, but there was only one or two that really looked um, like they may uh, equalise in the night. So it definitely felt like Serral Poteno were the protagonists in this game, you could say. But Universitario did uh, dig out a few chances late on. Um, I think Serral Poteno were the better side, but it was a fairly tight uh, game. But but one I feel feel Cero had. Controller for most of it, uh, apart from the odd moment here and there. So I think the right team went through, but, you know, two fairly evenly matched sides.
1: Yeah, I I, I think that Barcelona, who I think we're going to touch on in a a bit, should beat this Serra Porteño side, though. Uh, I I think we can be agreed on from what we've seen so far.
0: Yeah, before we get on to Barcelona, a quick mention for Donald Mijan, the Colombian playmaker for Universitario. He impressed me in the four matches that we got to see from Universitario in this Libertadores. Adam, you mentioned it. Another impressive showing in this round from Barcelona. 5-2 aggregate winners over Peruvian opposition Sporting Cristal. They ran rampant in a 4-0 home win they ended up losing the second leg two one, but that only came after they had scored first. Fidel Martinez now five goals in his first four matches this year. He's going for the Wilson Morelo Memorial Golden Boot, which is when you rack up all of your goals in the opening phases and hope that it holds on when all the big hitters come in later. He's been really impressive. This Barcelona side in general have been really impressive. I don't really know how they lost the second leg, but it doesn't really matter because they would scored first and were 5-0 up on aggregate. So you can kind of just wash away the two goals from Cristal. A late penalty ended up giving them the whim. Simon, Barcelona, the most impressive side
2: you've seen this Libertadores? They are for me. Yeah, yeah. No, I I thought Barcelona were significantly better than Cristal, even on on the second leg where they lost. uh, A good side. Nice balance to the side. Uh, Jonathan Alves, um, yeah, I mean, missed a penalty on the night and will have to uh, be a bit more clinical um, than he was in the second leg in particular. But it feels like a nice balance um, to the side. Martinez, the is on the wings. Uh, Diaz as the Diaz. Um, it's, it, it, all, it all sounds so good. And it looks pretty good, too. It's dynamic, it's quick, it's impressive. Um Cristal were never really in this game, despite winning it. Um, they bundled one in at the end, a scrappy one, and then got like, a somewhat fortuitous penalty. I think it probably was, but uh, a little bit lucky after Barcelona had missed the penalty in the opening 10 minutes of the game. So, yeah, Barcelona are very impressive. Just I, I really like the balance of the team. Um, I, I think Riveros at sort the of back, from what I've seen, looks a little bit sluggish and a and a bit... Wayward in his positioning, which may be a slight concern, but overall, it's a team that's well-balanced, solid, pace out wide from the Ecuadorians. Um, and then with a, a, a number nine who has shown that he can score a good number of goals in the Libertadores in Jonathan Alves. So a team that, that just makes so much sense to me. Uh, we'll see how good, how good they can be, how far they'll go. Um, but I I do like the balance a tough draw Adam for Barcelona with Cerro
0: Porteño uh, a team that made the quarterfinals in the Libertadores last year but as you said earlier you pegged this Barcelona side to go through have they impressed you as much as they've impressed Simon and I
1: yeah most certainly and and one other interesting thing actually from this Libertadores as it's something I don't think we've seen before since like we've had this um, three rounds of qualifying is that two of the Two of the clubs that started in the first round of qualifying uh, have have reached it to the third round. That's Guarani and, and Barcelona, and and you've got to say that both have a fairly decent shot at making it to the group stage as well. Um, yeah, fr- from what I've seen, I think that Barcelona should have a little bit too much quality in attack for for Serap for for Sarah Um Diaz looks like he's he's really found some form at the moment the past last night to set up Fidel martinez was uh, was was superb as simon said they they just look really well balanced and yeah I'd be quite surprised if if they didn't make it to the group stage but yeah it's, it's, it's i think a lot will depend on on the lead they can get themselves um are they are they at home the first leg
0: yes. They yeah, are.
1: they are, aren't they? So, yeah, it, I think a lot will depend on the size of the lead they can get themselves taking it taking it across to to Paraguay.
0: And our final couple of ties to break down here. Internacional 2-0 on aggregate against Universidad de Chile. Adam, a 0-0 at home, gave the Chileans a bit of hope going into Port- the second leg in Porto Alegre. They played a fairly... Poised first half until it all went wrong in a moment. Gifted a goal to Internacional and then a second for the Brazilians in the second half. Put this tie away. At a maybe not as poor of a showing as you feared for Universidad de Chile, but they go out nonetheless.
1: Yeah, it's, I've, I kind of had mixed feelings about all this anyway. Because firstly, I didn't think Universidad de Chile should be in the competition. Um, I spoke about that on the, on, the, on the last show. Yeah, I feel it's a bit of a joke that we're in it to, to start with. Um, yeah, but in the, in the first leg, I thought they put up a, de- a decent performance, especially as they had to play with 10 men for like the last 25 minutes of, of that game. where They had their star playmaker, Wardomontio, sent off um, two yellow cards. So that always made it difficult because it did look like in the first leg they might just sneak a goal. And, and give himself something to defend it going into the second leg, but yeah, once that sending off happened, um, yeah, you know, it was just about getting out of that game with a nil-nil and hoping they could grab a goal in this second leg. Um, but between lose um, league match on on the Saturday evening, um, uh, basically over the course of the weekend, their goalkeeper Fernando De ball. Bo- who made a brilliant save in the, in the first leg um, to keep out uh, international header? Um, he went down with a stomach bug in in, in Santiago. Um, it looked like he was going to recover in time. He actually flew out to Brazil on the Tuesday, the day of the game. He was left at home um, um, before that, but yeah, he didn't. In the end, yeah, you know, he had a fever again. And um and yeah, and he and he couldn't play. Um, which meant that uh Campos, uh Cristobal Campos, um came into the side for his first ever professional game. Uh twenty year old goalkeeper has played youth football for for, for Chile under twenty level, but there there was always a worry about that and there was also a worry that they were missing their best central defender. They had done for both legs, and and to be fair, Carrasco, who replaced González, the, the Oswaldo González, who's best defender, um, Carrasco, who replaced him in in the first leg, actually had a really good first uh, first leg. He he kept Paolo uh, Guerrero quite quiet, um, and um, and yeah, it was more of the same in the second leg. Before Campos passed the ball onto Carrasco's weaker foot. Um, and Carrasco really has no excuses, despite being his weak, weaker foot, because he took the most horrendous of touches. The ball like bobbled, bounced up. Um, an international player um, nicked in, and um, and yeah, and and the Brazilians took the lead. And yeah, at, at that point, it was it was always going to be difficult. Um, and a nice individual goal for the second. Um, to, to seal it um but yeah it was it was it was lost in that one moment really from uh from the one of us that the chili perspective which is a shame because you know it was made by two players who don't play often coming coming into the side and and basically combining to to gift the goal when really hadn't looked under that much pressure um d- during that first half um international really weren't creating much and yeah i personally i don't i don't think much of them even though i do think they'll probably make the group stage but i kept saying that last year about them didn't i and then they, where did they reach in the end did they get to quarter finals i think
0: yeah wasn't it they were eliminated um, by flamengo in yeah. the the
1: <laughs> So I think they're just one of those teams that I just refuse to give any credit to. And they somehow just about keep winning football matches.
0: Simon, the opponent for Internacional in the next phase will be Colombian side, the Portes Tolima. A pair of goals by young starlet Haminton Campaz. One away from home for a 1 0 win, and one at home for a 1 0 win. Basically, almost mirror images the goals. And Tolima are through in fairly comfortable fashion
2: yeah i thought they were pretty good um you know i am not sure how how strong makara are but tolima looks solid um they they were well in both games and and i think the wins both deserved on both both evenings uh, jammington campas is an excellent player a player i've been hyping for a long time um the management in at Tolima didn't want to rush him in. They wanted to take their time, allow him to develop physically. And and some people watching Tolima were like, where's Kampas Is he not that good then? But my faith has been repaid and he's now a great player. We went from a flying winger to a, a box-to-box midfielder, you know, a number eight in, in many ways. Um, just a really, really good player. Always driving forward. Does his job defensively. Can play a nice pass, but it's just a, yeah, you know, driving forward. And but on both both games, it was it was that, driving towards the opposition goal, a nice touch and a, and a powerful finish to the bottom-right bottom, bottom right corner. Um, my question with Tolima was, who's going to be the main man up top? And they've actually done a great bit of business. They've signed um, a Costa Rican 26, 27-year-old who had always played in Costa Rica, but looks like an incredible player. Uh, Francisco El Divino Rodriguez. The divine Rodriguez up top. Um, scored a hat-trick against Envigado and then was a really good player um, for Tolima in the Libertadores so far. Um, was uh, important in the Campaz goal, ran with the ball past two or three players and, and teed up Campas for a, for a controlled finish. Um, so, yeah, you know, impressive from Tolima. The clean sheet, I think, is equally important. They've got a good goalkeeper in Montero. Uh, Godillo and Robles in front of the defence, protecting uh, a lot of pace out wide. Um, Albonos is, is a proper athlete flying forward can sometimes leave the ball behind a bit but uh will be dangerous at times and at times wasteful but you know you, you take what you can um with that pace uh and uh, you know i think tolima have the potential to maybe upset international international will be favorites but i thought they were a bit flat i think guerrero is is dynamic and and tries to make things happen but overall nothing particularly to to be fearful for other than uh a side that as you say can get results and is you know, I- superior in terms of individual quality but I think this this flying compact tolima side might upset a few teams and uh, if Rodriguez can keep his goal scoring going then uh, you know it could be could be able to do some damage against the Brazilians
0: Adam, are you going back to the uh, pick against international bandwagon taking tolima here
2: no no
1: like I just said I, I, th- I think they are probably didn't make it through to the group stage, uh, but whether they get beyond that or not, I don't know. Who, wh- what's the group for? What's the group awaiting? Either of these two sides.
0: We could be staring at a Porto Alegre derby in the group Ah, stage of the Libertadores. Gremio, America, the Cali, and Universidad Católica, the Chilean one, the good one. Uh, So a really difficult group. And I think one of the groups that I'm most excited for in this Libertadores is this one right here.
1: Yeah, that that, that, that will will really be potentially a a group of death then if Internacional do make it through, no? Is there is there one which looks more difficult than that? Would you say? Because America, America, the Cali are pretty decent now, aren't they, Simon?
2: Yeah, I think they've got a good balance. Um, they've got they just signed Adrian Ramos, who obviously played a long time in Europe, and he's fitting quite nicely. So, I think America could be quite efficient and effective with uh, and three good forwards, a uh, solid midfield.
1: And, and Catholica have won three <laughs> matches out of three. In uh, yeah, yeah, they're going for three titles in a row. In Chile, under three different managers, it would be as well, because their current manager is um, Ariel Halon, um, who who was um, pretty successful with Independiente in Argentina, um, and yeah, he's he's already become really popular with with their fans, um, and looks to be implementing a a really nice style of play, as expected. Um, So, yeah, I'm quite hopeful for Katolica this year, even though they're in a pretty difficult group, although I'm pretty sure I said the same thing uh, this time last year.
0: Guys, one more note before we move on quickly to the pre-Olympico. Another star-studded name coming to the Libertadores, Adam Emmanuel Adebayor signs for Olympia of Paraguay. Is that a sentence you ever expected to hear? No.
1: Well, some people accuse me of being like too obsessed with football. But, you know, uh, what's wrong with <laughs> staying up to 1.30 in the morning watching um, Paraguayan um, television on, on a mobile phone just to see um, Adebayor arrive to the airport to be greeted by hundreds of Olympia fans. That's, that's perfectly normal
0: behavior, isn't it? Uh, you're not going to get any argument from this end of the podcast. Simon, it's an exciting signing. Uh, we'll see what he's still got in the tank. But it's a great move from Olympia. They've been dominant in Paraguay. This is the year where they can maybe make a run at the Libertadores. Uh, it's the big goal on, on their calendar this year. Uh, and who doesn't want to see Adebayor and Roque Santa Cruz in attack, Right.
2: It's it's interesting, yeah. It's it's good. It's good. I, I'm 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 in favour. Uh, Paraguayan football is where it's at this year, apparently. That's where. And there's also talk of uh, Yaya Toure popping up somewhere, uh, linked with Paraguay, maybe somewhere else in South America. So, yeah, the African footballing legends are all heading heading our way, and apparently, Paraguay is the destination of choice.
0: Adam, before we wrap up this podcast, a quick word on the end of the pre-Olympico tournament that saw Brazil and Argentina qualify for Tokyo. Colombia and Uruguay left on the outside looking in. Brazil got the job done in their very last match, a 3-0 win against an already qualified Argentina side. Fairly fortunate maybe for Brazil, but in the end, the two big names are the ones going to the Olympics.
1: Yeah, I think we said on this uh, on this podcast a couple weeks ago that we'd be surprised if it wasn't. Um, Brazil and Argentina head into Tokyo. Um, they, for me, despite both teams missing probably their their most talented under under twenty three talents, because this tournament falls outside of a, of a FIFA window. So a lot of the a lot of the best under twenty three talents for for, for for both nations were were missing because their clubs wouldn't release them because they have no obligation to. Um, but you know there were still some really, um, you know, quality performances. I think um, one of the big difference makers for for Brazil, for example, was Matias Cunha, um, a player that I saw here in in Chile last year in a in an under twenty friendly between Brazil and Chile, and he was really standout that day, and um, probably going to be one to watch in Europe over the next couple of years. Argentina um, with Alexis uh, McAllister... In, um as 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 kind of a playmaker and um our doorful up front a, a player that I've spoken about many times on 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 this podcast as, as one of my favorite strikers um up and coming here in here in South America you know like They did most of the damage um, throughout this tournament for Argentina, and um, I I think Argentina deservedly took the title, even though they were well beaten by Brazil in in the last game. I I think maybe they'd they'd, uh, they'd lost a little bit of uh, focus and motivation by that point, but... Yeah, overall, definitely for me, the best two teams in this competition made it through. But a quick shout out for Bolivia, who were extremely unlucky not to make the last four. Um, they were they were winning 2-0 against, uh, against Peru in their final group game um, to make it through to the final stage. They had to win by two goals. Um, and yeah, the last kick of the game corner comes in and um and and Peru grab a goal uh, right at the death and and it, I think it was I think it was like 30 seconds after the whistle perhaps should have gone anyway because it was really deep into injury time so yeah um really felt for the Bolivians there who certainly produced their best performance um at any international level for, for a while that we can re- remember, really. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting crop of uh, talented Bolivians coming through there. I think, uh, yeah, the the beneficiaries of that Peru goal in the end were were Uruguay, um, who did look to threaten that they might that they might come out of this final stage at times. But yeah, overall. Um, just not quite good enough. And uh, and I think the same can be said for Colombia, who did show some signs of promise, certainly in, um, in, in that first game against Brazil, Simon, um, and maybe in the first half against Argentina. But it kind of all went wrong in that second half, didn't it, against Argentina in the second game?
2: Yeah, you know, I think, like, I come out of this very negative because the feeling for Colombia is... Again, when the, the pressure was on, they fell apart. And I think that's kind of a fair assessment. But to be more positive, they were better than Brazil for most of that game. They dominated possession um, for for large spells, took a lead and, and looked good. And then they conceded a long-range effort from Mateus Cunha. And then against Argentina, again, 68% possession um, Argentina. Very efficient, uh, without really imposing themselves. Uh, a lot of tactical fouls, a lot of play acting, a lot of physical play. But Agostinotti with a with a long range effort, and then two minutes later, with Colombia reeling, they concede straight away from a corner. Uh, and then again, despite dominating the remainder of the game, couldn't get it back. Two one, uh, and then in the final game with a rotated side, they they. They never really paid up much against Uruguay, but the qualification had already been decided at that point, uh, more or less. Um, so, again, I think Ray is just terrible as a manager for Colombia. Um, and Carrascal was incredible. And then all of the reservations we have, despite all the talent, came to the front. And he was immature and selfish in the key moments, not trusting his teammates, trying to do everything himself. So, you know, I think there are some positives to take from this. Uh, Colombia could have progressed to the Olympics um, if they had closed down some long-range efforts and defended better from a corner. So, despite the reservations and the the things that, you know, concern me about Colombia, if you look at it, they conceded a 35-yard screamer against Brazil and then conceded two goals in five minutes against Argentina. And apart from that, won top in both of those games for a large spell. So... Positives to be taken, but again, when it really mattered in the key moments, they fell apart. So, a lot of disappointment with that for Colombia.
0: Well, guys, that'll do it for this week's show. Before we wrap up, a quick word from both Adam and Simon on where you can find them on social media and if they've got anything to plug. Simon, you first.
2: Yeah, so on Twitter at Simon Edwards, SAF, Colombian staff. And as we look forward to the group stage, I'm sure there'll be things coming out uh previewing that and looking forward to how the colombian teams and and how the group stage are going to pan out so yeah keep out an eye out for that kind of stuff on twitter and behaving yourself i see simon still on twitter so i didn't hear that
0: <laughs> you're fine uh, gone. yeah i has gone and adam for you on twitter
1: uh, you can find me at adam brandon 84 basically if you if you if you want to know any updates from the Chilean premier division especially with everything going on here in in the context of the social political crisis then um yeah follow me from uh, uh have regular updates each week on that and um and yeah also we should just point out that the Copa Sudamericana is al- is also happening at the moment although there's far too many games at different stages to um to, to get our heads around at, at, at this point, but yeah, we sh- we should be able to give you an update in a couple of weeks. I think on, on on that as well as as well as the third round of these Libertadores qualifying ties.
0: You can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore James906. I would as always also encourage everybody to follow the official accounts from both the Libertadores and Sudamericana at the Libertadores and at the Sudamericana on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can also like the Convil Libertadores and Convoble Sudamericana Facebook pages for more information on those competitions. Well, thank you to Adam and Simon for joining me this week. It's been fun as always. We'll talk again soon. Thank you to you, the listener, for choosing us as your podcast of choice. That's all for me to say, and goodbye.